Hello everyone, I'm Mike. I'm Jim. I'm Graham. And this is UK Motor Talk. And Dave is currently <laughs> trying to reinstall us on his computer, but uh, but struggling, so it seems. So hopefully he'll be joining us in the, in the not-too-distant future. At the moment, he's sending us a lot of words. They're not very long words, um, but nevertheless, hopefully he'll be joining us soon. Anyway, how are you? What have you been up to since we last spoke? I might have dropped myself in the proverbial by actually buying a diesel vehicle. You bought a diesel? Yeah, having said, no, 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 we're not going to have a diesel, we're not going to have a diesel. We had uh, an offer. It's a, a Mazda Bongo called Monty. Yes, don't go in bongo, there. Is it a Bongo Friendly? Monty the Bongo. It's a Bongo is... Friendly and it's a diesel. Oh, wow. Which uh, wow. we said we'd never have. But it's it's 20-some years old and done 62,000. So it's not wow. falling apart as most of them are. That's what everyone wants, a low-mileage diesel. That's 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 definitely not going to be any recipe for disaster. <laughs> if you don't go into London, I suppose that's okay. Or don't go within the M25. So just about to ask: Is it ULES compliant? Yeah. Absolutely not. It's fairly UK compliant, I suspect. <laughs> but um, it will last us uh, a while. And we were looking for a small, very small motor caravan of some sort. Uh, my good lady now doing most of the driving, and we decided that we wanted something slightly smaller than a VW. And the problem with most of the VWs was very few of them are autos uh, and mm. uh, my good lady particularly wanted the auto box because that's what she's got used to because our vehicles have been autos for quite a number of years now and in the end having searched for petrol Mazda Bongos because they seem to be about right or the Toyotas and there are also Ford Freedas which um, apparently is, yeah, is that the same thing? I'm desperately trying to remember. Yeah, yeah, it's the same same thing with a different badge, I think. Yeah, it's exactly the same, but an even more unfortunate name, I think. But we only picked it up yesterday. So far, very pleased with it. It's, it's in remarkably good shape. I checked back through the um, MOT history, which is fairly easy to do these days. And you can even mm. check the advisories. So I know exactly what's been done in recent years. And I've checked the MOTs back to 2017. It's been consistently doing three and a half, four thousand, four and a half thousand miles a year. So not exactly overused. Sorry, can I just jump in and and have a go at you as a customer? You are you are just a, a nightmare customer because you originally messaged both Mike and myself saying, "Hello, gentlemen, uh, could I have a bit of help? What I'm really after is a low mileage, decent spec petrol automatic Fiesta." And what you've ended up buying is a diesel bongo. Yes. And then customers like yourself will, will have the nerve to claim they were missold something after the fact and, and try and claim compensation. I mean, that's that's just ridiculous. <laughs> have you bought a diesel? <laughs> if I'd have known we were looking for one of them, we've got seven of those in stock at the moment. I mean, it's unbelievable, <laughs> but there we go. That's it. Is it a camper van converted one? or a, It's a full conversion with a an electric roof. Uh, it's got fridge. Double bed and another double bed in the roof, cooker, electric water supplies. It's everything you'd expect in a motor camper or motor caravan, but in a very small space on the road and easily driven by my good lady. So she can use it as a daily driver if she wants to do so. And Is we'll keep the Volvo uh... for. Oh, hang on. I don't want to cut you off. What are you going to keep the Volvo for? Because presumably it's, it's not the same activity as you would have used the Bongos for. 
Uh, no, the Volvo is going to be used for trips into London because we do do quite a lot of trips into London. And fortunately, at the moment, they're still ULES compliant. Just trying to work this out. So you've, you can check the, the MOT history and you can tell the MOT test has been paid more each year for the MOT, and which is always good news. And presumably, being a small camper van, it means, and I first saw this in one of the little Renault van converter ones, it was like a Kangoo camper. And they had this fantastic solution to the toilet where they had one of these pull-out toilets and a curtain that you could put across. <laughs> I love the idea that in the middle of the night, you might want to just sit there and unpack or something. And just, just the idea of this this curtain flapping in the breeze. <laughs> uh, hello, David. Hell. <laughs> so Sorry. we've just learned that um, Graham has bought a load of pampas grass. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. No, I jest. Yeah, we we've just learned that uh, that that Graham has bought a four birth bongo friendly. A bongo friendly. A bongo friend, yes. which hey. as much as we jest, actually I quite like. I think they're quite cool, to be honest. They're brilliant. They are brilliant, My aren't they? Got one. They're absolutely awesome. To be fair, I am just having a look at them, and I do quite want one. Jealous. Mm. Genuinely jealous. There's so much in, in such a tiny amount of space that they're just really, really well thought out. And just the fact that you've got air conditioning front, air conditioning back, you've got internal lighting everywhere, split charge system, two batteries... You know, whoever put this together was was way off the mainstream. You do have to poo behind a curtain. We've established. Well, in, indeed. In fact, I think we'll um, we'll have the bucket outside. We'll have the external <laughs> loo. <laughs> Maybe you could get a little trailer, and instead of having uh, like a pop up t- trailer tent, you could have a pop up bathroom that you pull behind you, and then you could just force people to sit outside. I did say sit outside for editing purposes. Sure. <laughs> yes, I rather like the idea of a crap trailer, but there you go. And at this point, we were saying welcome, welcome, Dave, but that was a horrible way to have introduced <laughs> you coming off the back of crap, crap trailers. And Pampas grass. And Pampas grass. A diesel, given my uh, dislike of diesels, but there you go. Ah, you oh, got the diesel. My, my friend has the V6, and he's a, he's a committed Green Party member, and he keeps <laughs> that very, very quiet. So. Yeah, oh, the, the V6 is very thirsty. Yes, I, I can attest to that. I've got one on my own. So what, sorry, I know you've already gone through this, but just to sort of come up to speed, what, what prompted the purchase of the Bongo Friendy? We were looking for a small camper. Having decided that um, something that Helena could have as a daily driver, and we could kip in it from time to time. And then Nikki came up with somebody that she knew that had got this one. Well, in fact, we only looked at two. One, we didn't even knock on the front door because the thing was busy falling into the gutter. The guy said it was in good condition. Yes, good condition for the rusty end of a skip. And the other one that we looked at was the people were really nice, it was really low mileage. It was a good price, and he was keen to move it because he had another car coming the following day, or another bigger camper van. Congratulations. This is is your gateway drug into camper vanning. (laughs) (laughs) We had uh, two VWs uh, when my kids were really small. We traveled all over Europe with them. The kids still remember, you know, sitting in fields in Holland and France and so on and so on. Broken down? No, no, not at all. One very nasty accident when somebody decided to turn left into us and didn't see Oof. us and just kept coming. So, well, that's that can happen in a in a bongo friendly if you're not uh, if you're not careful. So I understand, and I'm pleased to to hear that the the previous owner was 
was very keen to swap into uh, into into his new camper. It um, suited us very well. <laughs> Dave, what have you been up to? Uh, well, apart from trying to make a recalcitrant MacBook go, uh, yeah, well, bits and pieces. As it's been a while, isn't it? I've, the I think the last thing we all spoke about was the Festival of the Unexceptional, which was very exceptional for an unexceptional event. I had a lovely time there, and um, still sort of reeling from it now. It was it was quite the experience. Apart from that, not a lot really. It's just been bits and pieces, idly browsing Auto Trader and various other car platforms that I shouldn't be because I don't have the means and I've got nowhere to put them. But still, the um, the second car, the classic car bug, is just yeah biting i don't know what to do and now you've got a bongo oh. friendly graham it's yeah well i yeah. suppose i can claim that's a classic car yeah yeah exactly you can have it as my surrogate then there you <laughs> go i'm no, really genuinely looking forward to hearing about that and um seeing progress and seeing where you end up with it we did mm, track day didn't we or well the track evening i suppose and it was yeah. uh our uh, our usual haunt of Brands Hatch. So it was uh, and just accompanied by a sudden heat wave. It was we were thinking, ooh, weather might be a Hot bit icy. Oh yeah, it's probably going to rain given the uh, the way the weather's been over the last couple of months, really. But it was I think sort of hotter as it appeared when we got there, and uh, certainly stayed dry. Although uh, it should have been good for grip. But there was a couple of cars decided to lunch their engines or coolant systems at various points throughout the evening. I mean, mm. it was only sort of two, two and a half. But actually, no, they, they ran it as long as they could. It ran till about eight o'clock, didn't it? Just after, it, I think. It was sort of keep going because there were a, a few stoppages for mopping up some slippery fluids. But it was a, it was a great evening, wasn't it? Great fun. And who doesn't like a, a slippery fluid? I mean, we um, it, well, air temperature was sort of 31 and a half or something. Track temperature was, well, my gun reckoned it was about 60, didn't it, at some point? Uh, yeah, it was certainly toasty. And humid as, but there was some really quite interesting stuff out there, including how often do you go anywhere and see a car that you have no idea what it is? And I'm still really not too sure. There was someone racing a, a Saker, wasn't there, around there? I'd never seen one before today. Uh, meant to look this up today at uh, at work, but it was a bit uh, a bit busy and I didn't get a chance. So I'm just going to look it up now. So it's a uh, Saker Sports Cars. Just have a, a little Google of this thing. It looked uh, it looked rather spectacular, and um, I mean, it just it yeah, it, it went round the track like it was a computer game, didn't it? It was one of those one of those times on track where somebody passes you and you think I'll try and stick with him for a couple of corners and see what happens, and it was a uh, yeah. Certainly not going to happen for any more than about three seconds. Dangerous is what it was trying to stick with him. I'm on the website now. I'm going to try and find some information about them. Saker, S-A-K-E-R, sportscars.com. Just for a bit of perspective. So this thing had a, was a wraparound cockpit. It's If you sort of think Le Mans racer, that's kind of how it looked. It looked harder as the night went on. Very cool looking thing but when he was turning you could see the small steering inputs it was like the car was rotating around its middle like there was a pole through the center which is why we're thinking it's very video game-esque and as he was putting in the inputs it was like the front end of the car was twitching to the degree that he'd chosen it was exceptional really exceptional and it was blisteringly quick wasn't it yes i mean they're just uh looking up the history they're founded uh or started off in new zealand uh way back in ooh, 1989 actually and uh but more recently or since 2002 have been uh been based in the netherlands so uh that that common crossover of, uh, of new zealand and dutch technology it would appear which is rare but there it's a uh, let's say have a have a look up uh on the internet this thing they uh they do a few different models there's a 
the Rap X, the Sniper, the GT, the Sprint, and they're uh, they're they're wonderful cars. But I say I'd, I'd never, never, never ever heard of them, and it's rare between us that we haven't at least heard of mm. them, isn't it? Yeah, and it was uh, we realised having having finished at Brands and everyone piled out and uh, and along the uh, the M25 and off towards home, everyone stops at Clackett's for a McDonald's. Yes, in- including this car as well. So it just epitomised our, well, drive your car to the track day, do the track day, and then drive home again afterwards. So, uh, yeah, nice to see uh, he's, uh, he's sticking to the, you know, budget end of, uh, of the motorsport spectrum. Uh, the car's possibly not. I think they, uh, let's have a look. If you want to buy a Seika Sprint, uh, oh, actually, yeah, ready to race. 58,000 Europe's Ooh. plus fat. Doesn't seem too bad to me, to be fair, for, for everything that's there. If you want a dashboard, that's an extra 2,200 Europe's. Uh, if you want a steering wheel, that's an extra 980 Europe's. Uh, if you want a gearbox, that's an extra 22,500 Europe's. Uh, uh, if you want it painted, that's another 3,000 Europe's. So it's a, uh, yeah, the optional extras seem to add up quite quickly. Um, so yeah, yeah. You, you're probably looking at. Well, if you ticked all the boxes, probably nudging a hundred thousand euros, if not over. But um, actually, yeah, I think for for everything that was on there, pretty good. I mean, what uh, what better car for a hundred and forty nine quid's worth of uh, track day evening at Brands Hatch? Mm. So, steering wheels now an optional extra, is it? It would appear to be, yes. <laughs> I mean, it was a very nice steering wheel, to be fair. But well, it wants to be for that price, really. Mm. So priceless by BMW. Yeah, BMW priceless from the eighties. You know, there was there wasn't much in the car to start with. Everything else was uh, on the options Do you want list. Button blank. No, I've never understood. I, 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 as is our way, we're head, setting slightly uh, off piece to a bit. I never understood why they made the likes of Mercedes with hubcaps. And this was Taxes. particularly the case in the sort of in the in the in the nineties and early noughties, and when they had the first A class out. And the people that bought those really to A classes always referred to them as my Mercedes, but they would <laughs> always be the poverty spec engine. With the plastic door handles and the plastic mirrors and the hubcaps and stuff, why have you bought that? Usually, they're the ones that are debadged these days because they're the budget end of the spectrum. Oh, but then everything these days it comes as an AMG line or an you know an M badge, this that the other, or an ST line or whatever it's going to be. All of them they do as as low engined imposters of the ones that you actually want, and therefore manage to cheapen their brand quite significantly. And I know we've we've spoken about this before. And I think it was a problem with Jaguar to an extent with the X-Type and it's been the case certainly with BMW where they've M-sported everything and it's been the case with Mercedes. I had a BMW M-sport, I really liked it. But now it's device, <laughs> doesn't it? Because everything's an M-sport or an AMG. And I think when you have a really top-end Merc or you have a really top-end BMW, so maybe, what, an, an M8 or something, I don't look at it and go, well, I can understand why that's going to be serious, serious money now. I mean. Any M Sport something, if you want a, a decent spec M3, that's what knocking on the door of 100 grand these days. Oh, easily. So you don't look at it and go, oh, it's a that, because there are too many of the standard cooking spec ones now that have been made to look like the quick ones. Sometimes the these old- things are all about uh, taxation. I seem to remember briefly in the 80s, you could buy two litre Ferraris because they were just under the tax break and they were using fiat engines basically because then there were taxation advantages so you were still driving a ferrari it just happened to have a fiat two-liter lump mm-hmm. i quite like the sound of that tempting in the, in the old days though you could always tell i mean this sort of 80s 90s you could always tell the person who'd um 
who'd got the poverty spec BMW 316, because A, yes, like you say, it was debadged, but B, it had the tiny pea shooter exhaust, and uh, the the addition of a third-party M badge on the back was never going to fool anybody, Ugh. was it? And you can put as many stripes in your grill as you want. Nowadays, they've got around this, obviously, by hiding the exhaust or putting fake ones on, because they've all got that finisher that looks like it could be an exhaust, but when you look underneath, there's only one silencer and the thing's pointing downwards bit of a giveaway i get really disproportionately upset about it perhaps because the thing is if you if you are the kind of person that sticks in like an m3 badge or an amg badge whatever it is on the back of your i don't know x rental bmw whatever it might be the only people that are going to know what that car is in the first place are the same people that are going to know it isn't one Yes, the only people who will know are the only ones who care. It's when you see that very yes. rare model of BMW M3 that had drum brakes on the back, for example. Yes, painted red power drums um, <laughs> with an A instead of an E. Yeah, I, I, I just, why? Just stop it. Stop doing it. So this is you, just stop it. What else have we been doing? Well, I took the fist to the Worthing Carnival. And where it was up on display was was well received. And then a week later, took the mini out to a, a show called uh, Minis on the Sea. Minis by the Sea. I always keep this the wrong way round. But nevertheless, Onstein Gardens, and it raises money in this case for a local children's hospice um, called Chestnut Tree. Doing amazing work. So I'm quite happy to shout them out because they do some incredible stuff. And we've supported them before, and was quite surprised that quite a few people had taken photos of the mini. And so I thought perhaps something had gone wrong with it. Or something had fallen <laughs> off it, or I'd, I'd run something over it. It was trapped underneath it or something. But I think we've now got to that sort of tipping point where people realise that there are not very many of the left that haven't been modified in some way, and mine's very, very standard. And the people that buy them are, are either nutters that are happy to spend £400 a year on road tax, or are really into it, I guess. So there's perhaps not so many of the older ones left that haven't been seriously neglected or been seriously modified. So maybe that's what makes it unusual. But I... I was a bit surprised and it was there was a bit of a tipping point with the onion as well because i'd bought it much like my xr3s when they were still sort of banger money and i remember the first few times when other people started to appreciate it and i, and I just thought this feels a bit weird so uh, what i'd like to know is if you've got a car where all of a sudden it's gone from being either the car that you own or you bought it just because you like it because that's why you should buy a car not to impress anyone else because you like it let us know. We are at UK Motor Talk everywhere. So tell us, if you've got a car that's gone from being just your car to a classic or to a, a cult car, I'd be really interested to know. Um, so if you've got, I don't know, a little Starlet or a Suzuki Swift or something that was just a car, do let us know. I'd be interested to find out. Right, I've got a uh, question for you, chaps. Now, I'll put this to you in the uh, in the group chat, so you've all uh, all had time to think about it and do your homework, so you should all be very well prepared. If I ask you this question today, it's obviously a lot easier to answer, but if you could only drive cars from one manufacturer, which one would it be and why? But the caveat to this question is it's not today because the world has gone SUV mad, so it would be very easy to just say Ferrari because you can have a Ferrari SUV, you yeah. can have an Aston Martin SUV, you can have a Lamborghini SUV, etc. So let's let's wind the clock back to before the world went SUV mad. So should we go, I don't know, 2001? Oh, 
God, that makes it a difficult proposition, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? But as I say, I asked you, uh, I asked you all the questions. You've had loads of time to prepare, so <laughs> refer to your notes, gentlemen. Go. One manufacturer, two thousand and one. And that, that makes it tricky, partly because I was, what, 13, 14 at the time, so I wasn't probably really interested in the practicalities of things. I was only really interested in how loud it was or how fast First it of all, sod off. <laughs> Second of all, I'll allow you a few years either way. So if the car that you really, really want out of there came out in 2002 or 2003, then we'll, uh, we'll let that slide. Okay, so I would probably, and it was 2003, I think it probably depend on your budget. If the budget's relatively unlimited, I would probably go Audi because I think we're we're knocking on the door there of the the early high performance RS models. You could have something like a an S8 at that point if you wanted to. You know, you're getting up towards the when was when were the first RS4s and RS6s? They were so like 2004, I think, weren't they? Sort of the um the B6 shape around that sort of time. It probably would be Audi. Because they were doing some exceptional exceptional engines, they were quite well engineered. You got the four wheel drive. You could have an estate car if you wanted. You could have a limo, and you could have a TT. Then I think as well. The S eight was a stunning tour de force. Yeah. I mean, they just had everything in it and on it. You didn't need to drive it anywhere. You could just play with the knobs and switches for an eternity. There was so much in there. <laughs> mm. But otherwise, if I was very budget restricted, I've always thought that probably from that era, if you could only have one car, and it had to be a sensible car probably a Ford Focus, as in the original Ford Focus, because I still think that's probably, all told, the best car Ford have ever made. Handled well, transformative handling compared to other stuff at the time, really. Set the benchmark, certainly. Was quite well screwed together compared to the Escort that came before it, and is still probably my favourite of the of the Focuses, so probably would be that specific car, even, not even that manufacturer. But I'm interested to see what you guys say. David? Well, there's the thing. I think Mike may well have um, spoken for me there because I was going to say Audi pretty much all around. As, as I say, they were just coming on form there, really, weren't they? So for all the reasons what he said, but I would also suggest the lesser brand, the parent brand, whichever way you want to look at it, Volkswagen, because they basically make something for everybody and even did back then. Uh, you had the mm. Golf GTIs, you had your VR6s if you wanted R32. that. R32. R32, oh yes, that would have been about then. So, you know, one of those. You've nowadays got your SUVs, but, you know, we don't talk about that. Though the Tuareg <laughs> is quite a, quite a funny thing, and you would have probably got one of the first round about 2003-ish, would you? Oh, yeah, probably. Just yeah, probably sneaking in. And the V10 yeah. TDI is, is a bit of a laugh, and also the W12 oh, yeah. petrol one. I mean, you can make allowances for those. I mean, utterly pointless and hateful, but if you're going to have one, go big. But yes, the Golf GTI, uh, the car that I still keep coming back to that I would like as a classic, which came out way before 2001, is a late 80s, last of the square boxy Mark 1 Golf GTI convertibles, uh, Carmen Ooh, yes. spec. One of those Ooh. is my ideal classic. I would absolutely love one of those. A Nuno Turbo would be fun just for the memories and knowing that I could just pay somebody to have it fixed rather than praying that the Turbo hadn't gone again. But yeah, something like that. I think Volkswagen, but if I had... Mm, the other, the other alternative, Land Rover, because, you know, it was an SUV before there were SUVs. They will go anywhere, do anything. They have got quite a range. And even then, the you know, the discoveries were sort of car-like, albeit ladder chassis and a bit roly-poly. But Range Rover, early Range yeah. Rover, Velar Range Rover, when it was still a proper Velar before this bar of soap thing on wheels they do now. Uh, yeah, Volks- and more Volkswagen. more reliable, maybe. 
and more reliable. Volkswagen. Yeah, sorry, if I had to plump for one, Volkswagen. I was going to yeah. say, it's got to be VW, because I can't quite see you on a, on a track day in a Land Rover. This is the thing. Or ah. sunny uh, <laughs> sunny Sunday drives off to the pub, etc. So, as I say, it's one car, one manufacturer for everything. So, if you ever VW. want to do a track day, yeah, good chat. Yep. I think for me, within that sort of uh, time scale, early noughties, probably Toyota, because they they offered pretty much everything that was hot hatches within there and and some very very quick sporting cars mm. but you know me uh if i had the choice i'd probably be back somewhere in the 50s late 50s early 60s but there we are that's outside the rules and that's often been the case but um, <laughs> if if i'm sticking to 2001 probably toyota because uh i could go from the land cruiser to a number of sporting yeah. cars and some very nice hot hatches we kind of forget don't you 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 just think of toyota as being relatively middling hatchbacks with great reliability but very plasticky gray interiors and you forget the fact that you had the Celica, the mr2 Ooh. he's made some noises there uh the land the land cruiser which is if you have the money for a range rover but you want something reliable and not showy then, then that's the one you buy, isn't it? You could have an Enema, I suppose. Uh, it, was, it wasn't the Enema, it was the Emina. Um, if you wanted a, a people carrier and then the later replacement version for that, was it the Picnic? I can't remember what it was. It, uh, what, I, there, was uh, there, there was the Previa. Yeah, I'm sure there was a Picnic. It was un, un, it's not I can't remember now. Previa was quite unusual, I seem to remember now. And it was like sort of cab over. The entirety of the engine was under the floor. It took a bit of getting at, but it made best use of the space. What was the jobby that you could have as an all-wheel drive off-road version? That was a Toyota, but wasn't that a Japanese market only? And you see yes, them over it was, here with, an the, import. with the mirror hanging over the back, usually in bull bars. That's and, right. Um, they're finding their way to the states. Actually, they're, a lot of this um, Japanese spec stuff is ending up in um, in the US, and they are absolutely lapping up. If you know, I'm a sort of fairly big fan of things like Bring a Trailer and Doug Demuro and Doug Demuro's mm-hmm. version of Bring a Trailer. A lot of the stuff there is right-hand drive cars Japanese import. Yeah, cars and bids. God, it's dangerous going on there the good thing is you know you can't buy any of it because it's only in the states unless you want to pay a huge amount of money and ship it back but why so it's quite fun watching the americans get very very excited about the most mundane things we've had for years and <laughs> watch them jump up and down because 25 years have elapsed and now you can have this old toot that japan can't wait to get shot off but the the four-wheel drive um people carrier things uh, seem to be incredibly popular over there for some reason uh, i don't know why maybe it's the outdoorsiness Maybe this would be a great time to say that they've re-released the, uh, or they're going to re-release the Renault Scenic as a uh, as an electric crossover. But do you remember when they did the Scenic off-road versions? They did the, the jacked up, had all the, oh, the body toned yeah. cladding on it, four wheel drive, and the and the barnacle on the back. Those things seemed incredibly niche, but in reality, were actually quite good off-road. Surprisingly good off-road. That's a proper people carrier SUV. Uh, and there have been a few like this Toyota, of which the name escapes. I'm sure someone will tell us, of course, as always, let us know at UK Motor Talk. Uh, if you can remember what it's called. It's not, uh, it was not a high ace or something ace, was it? Yeah, That's it was a, a Toyota high, high ace. ace, yeah. Something I saw recently, I think I've only ever seen one other one, which is a Renault Avantime. Oh, man. Ooh. Yeah. I, I, say, I saw one relatively recently. I've only ever seen one other one. Uh, I think they only made about six or seven, somewhere. Wasn't the Avantime the the big sort of pillarless coupe thing? Um, so it's SUV shaped. 
was it a three door SUV, wasn't it? Yes, from yeah. the no three door people three door MPV. That's it. Early two thousands, I think that was. That's right. There's two parked on an industrial estate down where the tip is. Uh, Jim will know. And the place opposite's got two parked outside. And uh, they didn't make very many. There's another person in Hayward Heath's got one. They all seem to be in that blue colour, that metallic blue that Renaults of the time seemed to come in the Megan that was. British design, the one with the, the sort of the bulbous rear end, very bold. That was, that was anyway. such a good TV advert. It was. I see you, baby. And there was also the Velsartis. Oh, yes. Yes, the Velsartis, yes. yes an ill-fated attempt to uh, crack the 5 Series and Merc 320 market. <laughs> good luck with that one. And, spoiler alert, no, they didn't. The French like doing this, don't they? Because they had the Peugeot, was it the 506? 605. Was, was 605. That's it, the, the big one. Mm-hmm. Citroen have done it as well, haven't they, with the DS and bits and pieces? And I can just imagine being sat in the training session, you know, being on the sales team and the dealers being sent up there and they're going, good news, this is better than a 5 Series. And just sitting there going, it's not, it's not better than a 5 Series. <laughs> they do have a good crack at it. Well, they could sell as many as they wanted in France, couldn't they? It was just the rest of the world that wasn't buying it, unless it was somewhere in Africa that used to be a French colony, in mm. which case, sell as many Peugeots as you like. But the, the Citroen CX Safari was huge, and that's why most of them in France that you saw, and I pretty, indeed you probably still do, became ambulances, because you could fit you could fit whole accidents in the back of them you? More, than just, <laughs> more than just the one pedestrian knocked off his bike with the um, proverbial string of onions around his neck but i mean they were they were massive and they were fantastic cars i would still love a cx gti turbo maybe not the um the safari that might be overkill but um willfully different which is why the french bought them because they get that sort of thing whereas the rest of us there were a few few people probably a few geography teachers who went yeah this is this is a bit different and i can't afford a sob but yeah the, <laughs> the citrons are great i mean it's a shame like the french- <laughs> yeah exactly pads on your elbows it's <laughs> sort of i don't know the sort of thing i mean alpha have failed at it uh, Fiat have failed at it. Chroma, anybody? Didn't sell many of them, did they? Oh my god! Yeah, you know. Yeah, but my, uh, Michael Schumacher had one of them, so must have done something right with it. Company car. Who Might said have he done didn't many have miles a sense in of it. Humor. Yeah, I thought the the Formula One drive of choice was a um an A6 all road. Is that still the case? Because obviously, if you're going to drive something fast all the time, do you really want? There's no way you can replicate that experience on the road, is there? Unless, of course, you're you bought a Zonda and you blew Lewis Hamilton, perhaps, but there we go. Ah, yes, but then uh, you end up selling it to somebody and then they go flat chat through a tunnel and crash it into a wall, so... It's been crashed twice, that one, actually. I'd missed that story. Yeah, he sold it, someone bought it and uh, and smashed it up in a tunnel, didn't they? Made a bit of a mess, but the thing is, with something like that, they are worth so much money that it doesn't matter what you do to it, as long as some of it still exists, the chances are it will get repaired, it'll be chucked in a crate and... Or in a covered trailer and sent back to the factory and then rebuilt, I'm sure. Classic example of that is the, is the 250 GTO Ferrari, isn't it? I think they made 37 and there's only one missing. Because no matter how much damage you do to one, it's worth rebuilding it. They're worth so much money. Mm. Well, just before we move on to the next topic, which is going to be a talking of 250s and auctions, uh, my answer is BMW, by the way, so I could have... Oh, a, so uh, we had you know, digressed. So I, so I could have a Z4 and a 5 Series Touring and, uh, and an M3X. So that's my very short answer to that. But something else we'd uh, we'd brought up the subject of, and, uh, and it's F1 and 250 related. A couple of auctions, actually. There's a uh, Michael Schumacher auction going on with Sotheby's at the moment for some bits of memorabilia. So it's Well, actually, it's a Schumacher auction. There's uh, lots of Michael bits. There's some Mick and some Ralph bits in there as well. But the, uh, the one at Sotheby's that caught my eye, there were two of them. There was the Nigel Mansell 
auction. So he's, I, I don't know if he's moving house. I don't know if he's downsizing from his <laughs> current palatial abode to a, you know, Bungalow? a one bed flat or something, but he's, uh, he's selling off an absolute bucket load of stuff. I mean, mm. helmets, trophies, clothing, suits, gloves, you name it. There's, uh, there's anything and everything in there, but there's, there's some odd things that caught my eye in there. It's like, there's a few things that if I was him, I'd want to keep like, you know, the helmet he was wearing when he won his last Grand Prix in 94. I'd, I'd kind of want to keep that, but there's the odd thing in there. There's a, a picture of, uh, a, a famous F1 racing driver and he's uh and he's written this little note and it says you know dear nigel and then he's written some words that you can't quite make out but i'm sure if you've looked at it hard you could read it signed mr j m fangio i kind of thought i don't care who i am if i have a handwritten note from juan manuel fangio i'd kind of want to keep that because it can't take up much room in a filing cabinet can it and why 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 move that on i don't get it no and if it's a personalized note like that you you just wouldn't want to sell it. I, there, there was lots of stuff. I went through that, like like you, Jim. I went through that Nigel Mansell auction. I thought, why is he selling that? You know, those are such personal items. Although I think, to be fair, if my name was Nigel, I'd be bidding very strongly for that signed picture, to be fair. I mean, it's a shame his name wasn't Jim Mansell, really, wasn't it? Because otherwise I'd be having a bid on that. Uh, but the uh, the other thing that caught my eye on the, uh, on the Sotheby's auction site was uh, a... Ferrari, 250, GTO. But the, all, all the other auctions tend to be sort of, you know, they've got a headline, they've got a, uh, a thing, you know, it's the collection of this. There's, uh, I mean, there's, a, there's not just cars on there, of course. They've got, you know, pianos, Air, Jordans and wine and Freddie Mercury memorabilia and this, that, the other. But the, uh, in, in the 250 auction is just the 250 and the title of the auction is The One. Hmm. And I quite like that as a title. And then, but the you know, not not shy of sticking the guide price on there of sixty million. I mean, I've, I've no doubt it. Wow. Uh, it'll go for a bit more than that. It'd be very interesting to uh, to watch that one go through and see how it gets on. Well, I think the last one was thirty seven, thirty eight million, something of that order. Blimey. Oh dear. It's it's another world, isn't it? I mean, the, there's us wondering sort of how come petrol's going back up again? What am I going to have to sell out of my internal organs <laughs> to start paying for that again? Whereas other people are going, do you know what? I might go and bid on a 250 GTO. I haven't thought about it. I just fancy one. Which, uh, yeah, it's, it is another world. But, you know, you know, we can aspire, can't we? And that's why I keep looking on Autotrader and it's why I keep doing the um, the lottery. In which case, ah, it's Tuesday. I must go check my numbers. You don't find many uh, 250 GTOs on Autotrader, though? No, not real ones. Not ones that aren't based on an MR2, at least. I have seen, what was it I saw the other day that was, I think there was a, I'm sure it was a Lamborghini Murcielago that was uh, basically a Toyota MR2, a second-gen Toyota MR2 underneath. And, um, for, you know, if you squinted and looked through sort of one eye squinting at sort of a bit of an acute angle, you think, eh, fair enough. And then you realise the headlights are a bit big and uh, the backlights are massive. And uh, no, that's not real. I remember years ago driving a Bugatti 35B which unfortunately looked very nice, but it was sitting on top of a VW Beetle. It somewhat <laughs> let it down. It was a very bizarre motor car that, that was very well presented. And I think the dealer got some very good money for it, but 
it was still a VWB underneath. Well, on that note, it really must be time to end. Watch out next time when we've got Graham, who would have been down to the Goodwood Revival. Thanks very much for listening, and don't forget to follow us on the socials. We are at UK Motor Talk everywhere. So from me, Mike, goodbye. And from me, Jim, it's goodbye. Happy bidding. From me, Graham, it's uh, goodbye. Dave's off to check his uh, lottery ticket. Yes, I'm, I'm off. Take care. See you next time. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.